0: As we start this morning, I just was reminded uh, today, as Greg mentioned Allison and uh, as I was worshiping together with you just a moment ago, that we have two very large areas of our church ministry being led by volunteers, Uh, worship uh, and expression, and uh, youth and young adults. So Mark Best, our deacon for worship and expression, is doing an excellent job in giving leadership to that. Uh, Thank you for all that you do, Mark. And Allison's coming back at three, um, bleary-eyed from being at camp for a week. Please keep praying day by day at 2.03. Please keep praying for those two positions. We are actively searching. Mike and I uh, and others are actively searching day by day for those two people uh, to lead those ministries. Please know that's the case. Please keep praying. Uh, We are not sitting on our hands. We are not simply praying that God would send someone magically appear before us. We are doing our due diligence day by day. But please keep praying for us on uh, that search, if you would please, please keep praying for us in that way. Thank you, Mike, indeed, uh, for last week and for leading us to that first part of Acts chapter 8. There's remarkable things happening in Acts chapter 8. I got back from London on, I think, Wednesday afternoon. I'm trying to remember. Yes, Wednesday afternoon, around 1 o'clock, we pulled into town. I've got a few pictures uh, from my time. Actually, these are actually pictures from Oxford, our tour guide, I think she was making this up, or she was no, she was exaggerating. But I believed her. I still believe her. So she said that C.S. Lewis would walk to teach at Oxford every day, and would walk by these things. There's a there's a fawn up there on one side of the door, like you would see here hear about, of course, in Chronicles of Narnia. The next picture has a picture on the door. That's a lot I believe that that was the case. So that was a lot of fun. This, of course, is in Oxford, London. The city of London has nine million people in it. That's, more, that's almost three million more people than the whole state of Indiana. So it was a remarkable time, a uh, remarkable place to be. It was remarkable for me to be in London with students uh, during the month of June, uh, sitting in the park, watching the Hare Krishnas come by, watching drag queens come by. We live in uncertain times, friends. We live in uncertain and troubling times. And I would just encourage you, again, repeatedly, day after day, week after week, to fix your eyes on Jesus. Because when we live in those uncertain times, and everything around us is uncertain, everything around us is troubling, or, or, or we just don't know what to do. And we sing those songs together, you know, this is the air I breathe, your very word spoken to us. You heard God's word read over you this morning, friends, so in These times in which we live, troubling times, uncertain times, may we find our truest, greatest, highest joys in proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. Today's sermon is called The Way of the Heart. Mike introduced you last week to Simon uh, in the first few verses of Acts chapter 8. We are indeed in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 14. This morning, we'll hear much more about Simon today. And I must tell you, uh, it's not necessarily comforting. When you preach through the Bible, verse by verse, you don't get to skip the parts that make you uncomfortable. So here's one more of those this morning today. The first point in your outline is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. We've heard a lot about him uh, in the first eight chapters of the book of Acts, more about him today. Take a look at verses 14 and 15 with me this morning. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. The work of the ministry goes on. Acts chapter 8 begins with Paul breathing out murderous threats against the church. And as Mike mentioned last week, applauding The death of a righteous man, Stephen. Chilling to read those things again. Chilling to watch someone applaud what we would mourn. And the the tables have been turned the last couple of days. Chilling to watch people mourn what we applaud. Chilling to watch it. In the face of all that, friends, God's word goes forward. Philip has been preaching the gospel in Samaria. And again, more in a minute on this, John chapter 4 Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This is what the woman at the well was a Samaritan woman, and he, people would walk all the way around Samaria, miles and miles and miles, to avoid even going into Samaria as Jews. On Tuesday of this past week, uh, there was a train strike in London, and uh, the day we were leaving, of course, to come back to Indiana. And uh, we were about 15 miles away from the airport in London, and because of the train strike, everyone's on the road. It took us four hours to go 15 miles, and we missed our flight coming back in. So uh, it was an eventful couple of days uh, at, that, at that front. People would go way out of their way as Jews coming from the south to the north to avoid going even through Samaria. And all of those prejudices... All of those, all of that bigotry in place is now being moved away from, and I praise God for it. They came down, look at verse 15, they came down and prayed for the Samaritans. Jerusalem was sitting on a hill. They came down from a high elevation to a low elevation. That's why it simply says they came down to a lower altitude in the north in Samaria. They prayed for the Samaritans to receive. The Holy Spirit. They had heard about Jesus, but they had not received the Holy Spirit. It was in the not too distant past that we read again this verse in John's gospel in his account with the woman at the well. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? The verse says, John 4 9, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The first Christians are being liberated from these ancient prejudices. That had been the case, as Mike mentioned last week, for a great deal of time. Write down this reference, if you would, please, in your notes somewhere. This is 1 Corinthians 12. We're taking communion today, and we'll be in 1 Corinthians 11 in a few minutes. The next chapter is 1 Corinthians 12, and he uses this phrase, the same spirit, the same spirit, the same spirit. The same spirit that had fallen on these Jewish folks in the city of Jerusalem was now going to be given to to Christians living in Samaria. It's a remarkable thing. It's a remarkable thing. Verse 16, please. 16 and 17. For he, if you are inclined to mark in your Bibles, would you please mark that word if it's translated that way? For he had not yet fallen on any of them. Who is the he in that phrase? The Holy Spirit. He had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, that is the Samaritans, and they received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a force or an impersonal substance. He is a person, a person that can be grieved. A person, the New Testament says that you can quench the Spirit in your life by not giving him more and more room. He is a person. He had not yet fallen on any of them. There is little evidence... Moving forward here, this is a remarkable situation where the Samaritans had heard the gospel but hadn't yet been brought fully into the the community of believers. That's why they went and laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. There's There's no sense in which, this is an ongoing thing as I read Acts chapter 8, there's a deliberate effort to incorporate these Samaritans into the community of faith. Mike mentioned last week Who are you making a deliberate effort to bring into the community of faith? These people had been on the outside for centuries of time. Animosity, one commentator says, toward Jerusalem among the Samaritans had deep historical roots. They were refused a share in rebuilding the Jerusalem temple, so they built another temple on their hill at a place called Gerizim. A Judean ruler destroyed that temple and conquered Samaria in the second century before Christ. When the Romans conquered Palestine uh, in BC 63, they liberated Samaria from Judean control. The importance of this issue to Samaritans becomes clear. The first thing the Samaritan woman says to Jesus, she talks about a prophet, is what she's talking about, the temple. There's long-standing animosity between these two groups of people, and it's all going away. Later on in this passage, as you heard from Brandon, Dear Church, there's gonna be there's a call from Peter to Simon to repent. A call to repentance. That call goes out from Peter to Simon, and Peter's responsibility is to leave it there and say, I'm calling you to repentance. I do not know what you need to repent of today. What you have to turn from. Again, more on this in a minute. I don't know what that is for you. I know what it was for the early church. They had to repent from these ancient prejudices against people they had reasons for them maybe you have reasons for your prejudices you have reasons for your animosities and the gospel of Jesus Christ is calling you to lay them all down lay them all down today and go in a different direction I pray that you would who will you come down and pray for today write that question in your notes would you please who will I come and pray, who will I come down and pray for today It's very easy to be angry with people that you're not praying for. It's very hard to be angry with people that you are praying for. May I repeat that, please? It's very difficult to be angry with someone that you're praying for. When's the last time you prayed for our president? Maybe you were angry with him this week. I bet you were. When's the last time you prayed for him? It's hard to be angry with someone that you're praying for. Who are your Samaritans? I don't know. I know who mine are. Who are yours? Who will you come down and pray for today? There are no unbaptized Christians in the New Testament. You may not know this, dear church. You probably do. But behind that screen is a baptistry. And I am going to get in that water with somebody real soon and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and there will be much rejoicing. I hope that you rejoice that day. It's coming. It's coming real fast. Next week, by the way, spoiler alert, next week is the Ethiopian eunuch and he goes, why shouldn't I be baptized? So I was really hoping we could baptize some folks next week, but it seems kind of fast. Anyway, there are no unbaptized Christians in the New Testament. I'll let that sit for a second. They're all baptized. And in the book of Acts, moving forward from here, it's everywhere. So it would be very natural for us as a church, to get in the water together and to, phys- to physically show the congregation down in the water, Christ's death, out of the water, Christ's resurrection. That's what the book of Romans says baptism is. It's literally your faith becoming sight. Look at what God has done in my life. Would you please consider, dear church, if you haven't been baptized? I'm not quite begging, but I'm close. If you haven't been baptized, would you consider it? Would you pray that God will give you the courage. Baptism is a sign of obedience. And every time that you do an act of obedience publicly, it creates faith. And it encourages the church. So don't deny your church family the chance to rejoice with you at what God is doing. Okay. I'll, I'll leave that there. Verse 17. Verse 17. They laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. There's a lot going on here. And I will not belabor this point because time is against me. But there's a unique situation, there's a unique reaction. These people had come down from Jerusalem, they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. I don't see a pattern in the New Testament of some kind of second working of the Spirit. God can do what God wants to do. And the Holy Spirit was obvious in their life. This is a remarkable quote from a book about Handel's Messiah from a guy named Joseph McCabe. Never again are we to look at the stars as we did when we were children and wonder how far it is to God. A being outside our world would be a spectator, looking on but taking no part in this life where we try to be brave despite all the bafflement. A God who created and withdrew could be mighty, but he couldn't be love. Who could love a God remotely when suffering is our lot again, day by day? Our God is closer than our problems. They are out there to be faced. He is here beside us. Emmanuel, God with us. The Spirit has come to be our comforter, to be our constant reminder and guarantor of our salvation. He is your inheritance if you are in Jesus Christ this morning. Thanks be to God. Verse 18. Now, When Simon saw the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, this is where the red flags come in, he offered them money. I hope that you read that verse and hear like a record scratching. Like everything's going a certain way. Do you guys know what records are, kids with needles? Do you guys know what those are? Okay. I'm sorry I didn't know my audience very well there. Kids, ask your parents. Simon, this is hard to say. Simon, in last week's passage, again with Pastor Mike, supposedly believed and was baptized. And here you see in verse 18 something that's, at the very least, very troubling. I want, by the way, there's a word called simony. And simony is a word used in the church of trying to buy favor in the church with money. Guess who it was named after? This gentleman here. That is his legacy. It's a sad legacy. Luke 6 says this. I will let this just sit, let God's word speak for itself. This is Luke 6, verses 43 through 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. The tree is known by its fruit. My family and I yesterday got to witness the coming together in marriage of, one, of a girl that grew up with Hannah on our street. Which is very, was very emotional for me because my daughter's not old enough to get married. Not, not nearly old enough, not yet. But her friends are, apparently. And on this street where we used to live, there were trees in our backyard. There were two apple trees and a pear tree in our backyard. And every year in season, guess what kind of fruit the pear tree gave off? I couldn't hear you, I'm sorry. Pears, every single time. It didn't switch back and forth. Oh, look, it's an apple tree now. My goodness gracious. The two trees close to our house were apple trees. And what did they give off every year, ladies and gentlemen? Apples. The tree is known by its fruit. The tree is known by its fruit. Simon made all kinds of statements. All kinds of public professions. He even got baptized. And here we have, a few verses later, a massive red flag. The fruit of his heart is on display, and you can't hide it, friends. You just can't. The apple trees in our backyard didn't have to strain to produce apples. They showed up. The pear tree didn't have, I didn't hear the apple tree or pear tree straining. There the pears were in season. The tree is known by its fruit. As your pastor who loves you, let me say this to you. Churches are, in my experience, my whole life in church, in churches, churches everywhere I go, not only churches, but places I go with people that claim to know the Lord are filled with people who say one thing and do another. Peter will call Simon to repentance again. And if there is a disconnection between your profession of faith And the way that you live your life, by God's grace, it would be wrong for me not to call you to repentance, to call myself to examine my heart today. We'll take communion in just a few short moments. And when we do, I would invite you to examine your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in you of, God, is there any way in me that should not be there? Would you please lead me in the right way? Lead me in the everlasting way, as David said in Psalm 51. May that be us today. Simon has a following also earlier in Acts chapter 8. He's got a big following. He doesn't have what he sees in the apostles though. He wants it, but doesn't have it. The Holy Spirit is not for sale. The Holy Spirit, may I repeat myself, is not for sale. John 3 verse 8, Jesus says the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit is like the wind. Remember a little while ago, that storm came through our part of the country, and they just are, they're just reporting to us on the television where it was. Was it going to hit us? They don't know. The wind goes where it wants to go. So it is with the Spirit. Verse 19. Saying... Give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. The apostles laid their hands on the Samaritans to bring them fully into the community of faith. Simon wants this power so he can be the center of attention. Please hear me. Every effort we make to draw attention to ourselves at the expense of others will ultimately be wasted. Every effort we make to draw attention to ourselves at other people's expense will ultimately be wasted. On the contrary, every attempt we make, every effort we make to express to others that they are of priceless value in God's sight, and the precious blood of Christ was shed for them, will return back again and again for all eternity. There isn't time enough to tell of all you've done, but I have eternity to try. We just saying that this song will be forever yours—a thousand hallelujahs and a thousand more. God, may it be so. May it be so in us. Amen. Okay, you're there. Very good. John 14. Jesus says again, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you, your very presence living in me. Just saying that too. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. All the promises of God find their yes in him. It's Jesus. That's why it's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. It's God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The first point of application in our notes is this. The Holy Spirit is now the guarantee and comforter For those who follow Christ, the Holy Spirit is now the guarantee and comforter for those who follow Christ. And there are those references, a couple of them that I mentioned in your notes for you. More on the Holy Spirit here in a moment. Let's go on to verse 20 real quick. And second point in your outline is the need for repentance. The need for repentance Verse 20, Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could attain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. The Spirit of God, given that salvation as a guarantee of our inheritance, is a gift. He himself is a gift, much like God's offer of salvation— Spiritual gifts are not and cannot be reasons for arrogance or boasting because they're gifts. They're gifts. When I get a gift, I say, I'm just so grateful. But it would be super weird if I got a gift and said, well, look at me, I got this gift. That's just very strange and very counterintuitive. The prophet Isaiah says in 55 verse 1, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Simon didn't hear those words. Simon can have no part in the gift of the Spirit because his heart is not right before God. Literally, that word for right is crooked. He's crooked. His heart is crooked. The same word used in the work of John the Baptist in preparing the way for Jesus. He was going to remove obstacles, not create them. Verse 22. Repent. Peter says, therefore of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see... That you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Repent. To repent is to change one's mind for the better. heartily to amend with abhorrence of one's past sins. Abhorrence is a fancy word for hatred. I'm done with that. It's not a, well... It's not, well, I thought, I thought this way, and now I think this way. It's not, it's not a degree change. It's I was going this way, and now I'm going that way. That's, that's what repentance means. It was Peter's, again, he needed to call Simon to repentance. Simon's job is to repent. We leave the outcomes to God. That's very hard to do as parents. Leaving the outcomes to God. We like to manipulate things. If we have kids on teams, we manipulate. Talk to coaches. Maneuver, you know. God knows exactly what Simon is after. He knows the intention of Simon's heart. Verse 23: Simon's real agenda is plain to Peter, who depends on the Holy Spirit, he's showing discernment. Simon's full of bitter jealousy and held poison. That word, those words there, it's like his heart's full of poison. This is strong stuff. This is the true Condition of his heart, despite all the external posturing he's doing, his heart is on display, and it's hard to see. It's painful. Thomas Akempis said it's better for a man to be obscure and to attend to his salvation than to neglect it and work miracles. It's pretty good. Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from its sight, from his sight. The second point in your outline was the need for repentance. Here is the point of application. Even the intentions of our hearts are not hidden from his sight. The great beauty of repentance, dear church, is that it's just coming into line with reality. There's great power, however, in speaking out those words of repentance. God, lead me in the av- I've been going this way. God, lead me in the other way. God already knows what you've done, what you've said, what you've thought. Again, to repeat myself, God is what Santa Claus pretends to be. He sees the intentions of your heart and loves you anyway. Your responsibility and mine, nobody can repent for you. Only you can repent for yourself. As a pastor, I have sat in my office untold numbers of times with people who need to repent and want me to do it for them. And I can't only you can repent for yourself. God knows the intentions of your heart. He stands the Father's arms. We're about to sing it. The Father's arms are open wide. And I don't know if you need to repent, friends. God's Spirit is going to be active in this place. God's Word is living and active. Our final point is this. Outline point number three, the Word of the Lord. The Word of the Lord. I don't think we don't know much about what happens to Simon after this is the last word on Simon. These next, these next few verses, Simon answered verse twenty four. Pray for me, to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Not exactly repentance. He doesn't want God's judgment. He doesn't want to go to hell. He doesn't deny what Peter says is true. No, 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 no. You, you misunderstand Peter. He doesn't deny it. He wants to avoid consequences. Simon is a charlatan. He thinks Peter is too. Well, it's all playing, we're all just shell games. We're all playing shell games here. Let's keep playing the game. Peter goes, no, 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 no. We're in business here. He's gravely mistaken. We don't know what eventually became of Simon, but he's a good example of misplaced religion. Verse 25. When they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans along the way. In Luke chapter 9, would you go back to Luke 9? This is going to be our our final word today before we pray together and take communion. What's repentance look like, Pastor Steve? Take a look. Luke 9, starting in verse 51. Peter and John are the ones back in Acts 8 who are preaching the gospel to all these many villages. Listen to this. Luke 9, starting in verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face, this is Jesus, to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers to Ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. The people did not receive him because his face was not was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and they went on to another village. That's John. The same John who's preaching the word of the Lord to Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. There is a great work of repentance that has gone on in John's heart. The third point of application is this, dear church. The mission of the church is to proclaim the good news. I have to tell you, I have to commend you for so many reasons, but I want to commend you in your care for the Jackson family right down the road who lost their house a few weeks ago. We have cared for them very, very well. If you have donated to that family in any way, thank you. You are removing obstacles for the gospel in our community, and I commend you for it. I praise God for your generosity. Your generosity is a demonstration of the gospel. It's not theoretical. You can see it. So thank you for that. Seeing is believing. The Holy Spirit, the need for repentance, and the word of the Lord. May we, this week, go and proclaim the good news. It's not good advice. It's good news. It has already happened. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this morning, uh, we ask you to have your way. God, I don't know uh, if those words that we just sang if all of us are desperate for you, maybe that's the act of repentance. Maybe repentance is, God, make us desperate for you. Make God, I pray that you would be the highest and greatest passion of our lives. We sing that song together too, Father. Give me one pure and holy passion. I don't know, Father, what, again, the folks in this room and the sound of my voice need to repent of it's probably something i pray god for those who are who are hard-hearted that you would soften their hearts god those who are tender-hearted and need to be comforted by you in this moment would you comfort them that's your that's your holy spirit that's who he is father so as we sing together and partake of the elements and as we have this time of reflection god would you do a great work in us i pray all those things in jesus name Amen.